Alaska's Newsmakers. Action Line, K-I-N-Y. And good morning, everybody. You are listening to Action Line on KNY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, per always. And joining me in the studio today, I have Assistant Fire Chief Sam Russell with CCFR. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about you, Jordan? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I, I enjoyed that we are done with daylight savings time. We're back to a good old-fashioned standard time. Sounds good. Because, I mean, there was a whole news story in it this morning, and it'll be in the nooncast. Just to, Everyone always complains about it, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about what's going on with CCFR, and the first thing I want to talk about really is how did the how did Fire Prevention Month go? I understand that that was last month, actually. Yeah, October is Fire Prevention Month, and uh, we did uh, quite a few station tours and public education events um, with the schools. Uh, real uptick since uh, COVID kind of dropped them all off about three years ago, and we just keep coming back to, I would say we're back to about a normal pace now. Um, Want to give uh, uh, some uh, credit to uh, Ruben Willis and uh, Robin Lonis from State Farm. They contributed some uh, posters and books and stickers and, and fire prevention stuff uh, through State Farm. So that was real helpful for our, for our pub ed events. Gotcha. And I imagine all those things kind of would have ticked up now that we're out of the pandemic and everyone's going out again. So It is, but you know, it's still surprising how far down we went. And then to see us come back, it's really nice to see that we're doing these things out in the public again. Gotcha. And of course, it's very important, especially with fire prevention, which leads perfectly into my next point of, I want to talk to you about winter fire safety, because I know... Uh, I believe it was the last month of the month before that CCFR mentioned that, you know, winter is really the big time that we see a lot of these potentially fatal fires happen. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons, uh, so, so service your equipment, right? Uh, get your chimney cleaned because most people don't use it all summer. Then it loads up with, with all the tar and stuff. And then those cause chimney fires. Um, your boiler, have your boiler serviced. Uh, when they first fire up, they create CO and CO can cause fatalities or cause, you know, just not to feel right. So having your boiler serviced and checked, really important. And then, uh, you know, making sure that your pipes and stuff are insulated. Uh, we have a lot of fires that end up uh, because people are down underneath their houses with the torch trying to thaw their pipes and end up catching their house on fire. So making sure that you do the prevention to, to have your heat tapes installed and, and your, uh, your pipes insulated and everything else uh, really helps out with uh, fire prevention. Gotcha. And now sort of speaking on some of those things, you know, you talked about the, the frozen pipes, so obviously getting the heat tape there. But what are the what are the actions that folks should take versus, you know, going down there with the torch? Uh, so uh, uh, making sure that your uh, that that your heat tapes are properly installed and plugged in. You want to check those because those are also a fire hazard if they're not properly installed. Uh, make sure that you don't have any uh, wind blowing underneath. You know, make sure all your vents for your foundation are all closed. That keeps the the cold wind from getting in underneath your foundation. And then if you do have, uh, uh, when it gets really cold, uh, running just a little bit of water through each of your faucets will prevent your pipes from freezing because moving water doesn't freeze as easy. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, you mentioned uh, CO, which for uh, for the listeners, that's carbon monoxide. And so maybe talk to and kind of remind folks why carbon monoxide is dangerous. So carbon monoxide is uh, uh, about the same weight as oxygen. It mixes in the air really easy, and it's produced by anything that burns, uh, well, anything that burns, but especially anything that burns fuels, like your boiler. And so if you've got a boiler that's not working efficiently or you've got a leak in your chimney, um, CO can fill your house. And what CO does is it binds with your blood cells instead of oxygen. And that's what causes you because you, your body needs the oxygen and the CO doesn't allow that to happen. 
Gotcha. I would say that also applies for your cars. If you have a park your car in your garage, do not start it in your garage. I'm sure some of you folks know that, but it is a good reminder. Don't do that because it's the exact same reason. Right on. And now, I realize I got very serious very quickly with this going into fire prevention. I should have started with our very fun topic, which was obviously that there was the there was the haunted house that CCFR helped kind of put together. How'd that go? I went really well. We worked with uh, the Alaska State Fire Association, uh, which is uh, an association of firefighters that does uh, public outreach and things like that and supports firefighters. Um, they're the, the lead on it, but we make sure that we uh, provide them with as much assistance. And most of our members are members of that organization as well. So they do sort of double duty and, and are part of both organizations. Uh, Haunted House went really well, uh, really well received. Uh, biggest year ever. Uh, everybody had a blast. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Well, that's good to hear because I know some folks were, were sad that there weren't that many uh, trick-or-treaters. So hearing that the Haunted House did good, that I hope that kind of lightens everyone's mood about that because I know some folks are bummed out about that. N- now, my next one is actually it's sort of a sort of a reminder about sort of the, the flow of information between me from you guys and then on to the public because I know I'm sure some folks heard maybe some sirens last night and that ended up being something that became a, a bit of a non-issue. But there can be some of that uncertainty with so folks hear a siren but then they never get an answer for what it was about um so we run uh sirens about uh 25 of our calls so there are a lot of calls that you never hear anything at all about um if you do hear sirens that could be for a variety of reasons uh some of our uh, car accidents get sirens uh fires of course get sirens um, our significant medical calls get sirens and some of those things we can release information about and some of them we can't. Um, so some we're trying to, uh, work with, uh, our news outlets and we try and put Facebook posts out or, uh, put stuff on our website to inform the public when it's something that we can inform the public about. And then if it's not, it might be, you know, it's, it's a, a medical call that we just can't disclose. Gosh, and that's something that I've talked about a number of times because oftentimes we, when we as sort of the newsroom, we can hear those things. We do learn that it is a medical. And as soon as it's a medical, I'm like, okay, that's as far as we go because it's, it's, it's a medical. And then that comes – there's two issues that come out of that. It then becomes a privacy concern because that's a very personal moment for that. And then beyond that, it is, again, it's an individual thing that doesn't present a larger threat to potential public safety like a fire would. Right, right. And so, and that's why we we'll always like to have th- that conversation whenever we have, you know, CCFR or JPD come on and being like, here's the flow of information, here's how I get it, and then I can give it to everybody else, or how we, folks can find it themselves. Because like you said, you guys post on Facebook when there are those sort of larger incidents that folks would want to know about, and that way they can be like, okay, here's what happened, here's what's going on, here's what's being done to sort of take care of or handle what's happening. Yep, that's kind of what we try and do, make sure that the big things are out there for the public to know. Exactly. And now we do still have a good bit of little time here. Do you have any other big winter safety, fire safety tips before we start getting to, getting to head into the break? Uh, the biggest things are the ones I've already talked about, servicing your equipment, making sure that everything's in shape. Um, one thing that you can do is if you've got a fire hydrant in your front yard, uh, when the snow comes, if you would shovel it out for us. There is no service in town that actually shovels the hydrants. And uh, so the flags that are on top of them, mark them for us if they're buried. But if you've got one in your yard and you have a few extra minutes when you're out in the yard, uh, it'd be great to shovel the hydrant for us. It makes our lives a lot easier. Exactly. If you clear it, then they don't have to spend more time clearing it and thus spending less time immediately tacking the fire. Tacking. Tackling is the word I meant. There you go. But it's always a fun time there. So 
I do want to talk about, you also got some new fire engines. Am I understanding that correct? Um, so we have, we're just ordering our fire engines. Uh, every, every five years, we cycle two fire engines. Uh, we do it uh, so that we can make sure that our equipment stays in service. Uh, the running around and doing the work, it's hard on the equipment. And so about every five years, we cycle fire engines. And what we do is we cycle them from the primary fire engine that runs all day long out to our volunteer stations that run occasionally and then we cycle them out. And so that helps us to keep our equipment last longer and the maintenance works better. Uh, we do have two folks that are back in Wisconsin, which is where the Pierce plant is, which is what our apparatus are, doing final design decisions right now. And those fire engines will probably be here late summer into next fall. Okay, so it's a pretty lengthy process. It is. It does take, uh, they're, they're custom, they're one-offs, uh, fire apparatus. They don't, you know, you don't go to the showroom and pick one out. You, you do the design based on what you need. And so it takes a little while to get them designed and prepped and done and the whole nine yards. Okay. Now, is there any particular things that these ones are being designed for? Or is it kind of just a standard fire? I say standard like there is a standard for a mo- fire engine model. We, we do. Uh, we base our stuff off of the recommendations of the, of the uh, manufacturer because they do them all the time. They see all kinds of different companies that do those things. But we also have some things that we know we need and we know that we like. And so we set them up that way as well. Um, these ones will be... Uh, uh, two-wheel drive with uh, a hydraulic assist for the four-wheel drive so that they're a little bit less expensive and they'll be a little bit lower to the ground, which helps with our firefighters and their back injuries or falls or anything else. The high, higher you have to go with the 70 pounds of gear, uh, the more likely you are to get hurt. Yes, I think that one, just thinking of it optically, yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense on that one. Now, we are going to move into our break. When we come back, I'll be talking to you about some of the, the other end of CSFR, the rescue, the paramedic aspect of CSFR. So don't go anywhere. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And we are back with more Action Line on KNY. I am still your host, Jordan Lewis. Joining me still, I have Assistant Fire Chief Sam Russell. Now, during the first half, we focused a lot on the, the fire aspect of CCFR and what's going on over there. So now I want to talk to you about the paramedic program, because I did see some of the, I believe it was the EMT training on the Facebook page? Oh, that's correct. We're conducting an EMT3 class right now, uh, just finishing up this week. It's uh, the highest level of EMT in the state. Uh, they're working on one that's just a little bit higher, but uh, not a lot of people have that one right now. Uh, for us, EMT3 is about as high as we go. Okay. Uh, allows a, our, our EMTs to better themselves, uh, learn a lot more stuff, be more useful to their paramedic partners, which paramedic, of course, is the, the highest level that's out there. So that's, uh, that's going on this week. It'll be finishing up the Wednesday. It's uh, eight days. Okay. And so what are some of the things that go into that training? Um, so they uh, learn uh, things like uh, electrocardiograms, uh, so reading EKGs and how to treat the different uh, rhythms that uh, your body does when it's not feeling right, and uh, learning some different medications. Uh, it's really just an advance uh, on what they already know as an EMT1 uh, or an EMT2. And so it just, uh, it's a, a, a step up at each level. Okay. And so I imagine they will consistently work through each of these tiers. And so I'm assuming most folks at CCFR would count at the paramedic tier, or do they go up to EMT3? Or I guess, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do. Uh, paramedics is significant advance up. Uh, paramedic takes a, 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 a lot more commitment to get done. 
Uh, it's about 1,200 hours of training or thereabouts versus uh, to get to an EMT3. Uh, well, it used to be 240. I think it's around 300 hours now. So it's about four times as much, but it's a lot of education. It's a lot of anatomy and physiology. It's a lot of uh, pathophysiology where you're getting a lot more education. The skills aren't a lot different. There's a few more, but there's not a lot of different skills, but there's a lot more knowledge that a paramedic program puts out there. And you have to spend a lot more time understanding the human body um, versus uh, uh, an EMT. It's a technician. It's very uh, kind of skills based. Gotcha. So now imagine, you know, since you're saying it is a lot more that education sort of realm of it, would they be taking classes up at the university for some of that stuff? Um, so we've got, uh, we, we run our folks through the anatomy and physiology class through the University of Alaska. Uh, we've actually got three of them in that class right now, which is the first phase of going into our paramedic program. Um, once they finish with anatomy and physiology, they enroll into, uh, it's a distance paramedic program, um, and they have to go back east a couple of times to do some skills reviews and some in-person classes, but a lot of it's distance-based classes. Uh, we actually have two people that are going this month back east uh, to just start into that paramedic program. They'll be uh, finishing the program in about a year. It takes about a year to get through the program. Uh, we just had one, uh, one of our folks uh, finish the program and got her paramedic license last month. Uh, just started, went through the process, and, and uh, just now is finishing up. I got one more that I'm expecting to finish uh, early spring uh, that has gone through the rest of the program and now is doing their field internship, which is where you demonstrate your skills and your knowledge to uh, an experienced provider, and they sign you off, make sure that you're good to go. Gotcha. Now, hearing that, it, it sort of loops me to a question that I, I don't think I had initially had sort of planned to talk to you about, but I think it's always a very good one to sort of touch base on, which is how goes it with, you know, recruitment and getting people to sort of try want to join the team for CCFR? Uh, recruitment, uh, we're like everybody else and especially like everybody else in the fire service. It, it's been really difficult in the last little while to get any recruitment done. Um, we recruit at all levels. We recruit uh, firefighter EMT and firefighter paramedic. We're probably going to do a recruitment uh, for firefighter EMT especially because we have a, an EMT1 class going on right now and we have some openings. So we could put some, you know, if, if, if we can get them recruited at this time, then that, that helps us with our, with our full-time staffing. Um, we're always looking for volunteers. Uh, volunteer staffing is our volunteer recruitment is ongoing and you don't have to have any certificates for that. You can come in and we'll, we'll start providing you the training right off the bat. So recruitment at all levels is, is constant and, and to a certain degree, a little bit of a revolving door. And I think that's just the way the world is right now. And, uh, when it settles out, maybe we'll, we'll spend less time on recruitment, more time on training. Well, speaking of the training, talk me through that process then. How does that look? So say someone's already gone through the step of you know, trying to apply for the work. What does the training look like for them thereafter? So if you're talking about a career firefighter, a uh, full-time firefighter, they come in with, we require an EMT-1 certificate already and a firefighter-1 certificate, which says that they've met the requirements to be an AirPAC, uh, an entry-qualified firefighter. Uh, when they arrive and go with us, we do a, a, an internship with one of our experienced providers to make sure that their training matches the level of service that we want to provide. And there's some ongoing training that goes with that. And then they're evaluated. And once they pass that process, they're cleared to operate on their own on an ambulance as the provider at whatever level they're at. 
Um, on the fire side of things, we do a verification of their skills because Firefighter 1 is uh, a very uh, a broad level. And so we want to make sure that, again, they meet the standards that we've set out to, to provide a good service to the community. And so they uh, get a verification of their skills. And once they're done, then they're cleared to be a firefighter as part of each of our teams. Um, most of our volunteers that we hire go through uh, those processes pretty quickly because they've already been with us. And so when, they, when our volunteers uh, transition into a full-time career, uh, they often do pretty well just uh, transitioning over because they've already been with us. Gotcha. And that was going to be my next question was if that pathway was there. So if someone had volunteered for a while, they could then transition into full-time work if it was available. Sure. They got to do the application process and do – it's a competitive process. We have a testing process so, uh, so we can hire the best candidate. But often our volunteers do very well with that because they've been practicing with us. Gotcha. And now – when you were saying, you know, fire EMT, so they're trained to do both or are they trained to do one or the other? We, uh, so as a volunteer, you can do one or the other. Um, to be a firefighter, uh, we do a three-month uh, Firefighter One program that we're going to be starting here in the spring. Um, if you're interested in that, you can uh, stop by the headquarters station down on Glacier Avenue and we can get you some information. Uh, or you can do an EMT class, and we actually have a volunteer EMT class that's going on that we're just finishing up with, uh, be done in December, and you can do your EMT training. Uh, when you get hired on as a career firefighter, we require you to be an EMT. So you're both. You're a firefighter and an EMT. And most of the work we do is on an ambulance, so the EMS is very important to us. We want to make sure we have top-notch providers. And that's kind of the breakdown of the two sides of the house. Okay. And I was curious about that because oftentimes when I've had CCFR in, you know, it, is, it does turn to us talking a lot about the fire aspect of it, which is understandable. That's the main thing that a lot of folks associate CCFR with. But I do always notice that you guys do go out on a lot of EMS calls. And so I wanted to kind of take that time for us to have that conversation because I realized I hadn't done that a whole lot yet. About 80% of our call volume is medical. So of all the things that we do, the medical side of the house is the biggest piece. And so we put a lot of emphasis on it. We do a lot of training on the medical side of things. And that's because that's most of what we do. And so we try and provide a really high level of service to the community in that aspect. Gotcha. And now, so say someone was interested in taking those classes, how would they go through the process of signing up for them? Uh, first things is to go down to the... Uh, uh, Station 1, and uh, which is on Glacier Avenue, uh, and get an application. The applications are also available online. Fill out the application and turn it in, and then we run you through an interview process and uh, make sure that it's going to be a good fit, and then we start the training. Um, the training actually starts at drills. We do Thursday night drills, and you can just show up as you are. You don't need a certificate to participate in the training. You just show up as you are, and we start training you into our operations. And then as the classes become available, we can enroll you in the classes because you're already part of the department. Gotcha. So the, while there is a lot of, obviously, applications and process, there is a lot of flow once that gets going. Once you get going, uh, w once we get you cleared through the basic application process, which includes a, a background check and some, some reference checks and things like that, and an interview, um, you're part of the department. And we try and put you in and get you working and doing stuff. Um, we get you involved with ASFA, so you can do things like the, the Haunted House or the Santa Run next month. Next month we're doing the Santa Run on the 8th and the 16th. Um, which is uh, driving Santa around the neighborhoods. 
And so we try and get you involved in those aspects too, because they're, they're a big part of the, the culture. Gotcha. And that's a very important part of any sort of workplace environment is getting involved in the culture there too. You can't just, you can't just be there and work. That doesn't, I feel like that's not very helpful for anybody. (laughs) Especially from, for our volunteer folks that are putting in their own time and they're not getting any sort of a significant pay for it. They're just, you know, doing it because they want to contribute to the community. Definitely. Well, on that, uh, Fire Chief Russell, thank you very much for coming in and chatting with me today. I very much appreciate it. And uh, yeah, very much thank you for coming on. Nice talking with you. All right. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. KINY. 94.7.